Welcome to the Blue Oasis Podcast. This is the podcast for finding peace and prosperity, learning the history of hobbies, as well as developing a little side hustle. If you want to find peace and prosperity in your life, this is your show. Get ready. You're listening to the Blue Oasis Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rothstein. All right, let's get to the show. And welcome back to the Blue Oasis Podcast. I am your host, Adam Rothstein. With me today is Steve Fredland. Hey, Adam, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, technical difficulties earlier, but um, we're rolling. Um, so yes, you started off in the corporate world. You have been in there for 25 years. That's almost how long I've been living on this earth. <laughs> um, so, uh, so talk to me. Um, where do you um, tell me about yourself? Uh, where did you uh, begin? Well, yeah. Thanks for the reminder that I'm really old. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, that I've been in my work career. Uh, was as, as long as you've been alive. No, so I'm, I'm a math guy. I'm an analytical guy. So uh, I ended up going to college for mathematics and then graduated. I became an actuary. Uh, and so did that for about 25 years. Uh, a lot of different roles in Fortune 500 companies from traditional actuarial pricing sort of things to investments to workforce analytics and all of that jazz. And then kind of on a parallel track, I was heavily involved in humanitarian work. So I started a nonprofit, did a lot of work in Rwanda, Africa. And then about four years ago, I went out on my own and started something called Small Small Business, which is really about helping small business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, small nonprofits, try to help them thrive so that their communities thrive. Uh, and so that's a, a real high level view of all I've been involved with, but I'm a multi-passionate guy. So I've done a lot of speaking, done TEDx talks, uh, done a lot of podcasting. Uh, as you know, I've had a poker podcast that I've started, a disc golf podcast. So kind of a lot of different things that I've done and I'm involved with. And there's nothing wrong with variety. I mean, this is the, this whole podcast is variety of all different kinds of hobbies. Um, so uh, poker, I, or rather, you know, you know let's get, go to the humanitarian stuff. Uh, so when did you begin uh, your humanitarian uh, journey? I would say the journey started in about uh, 2007, uh, where I really just developed a heart for the the AIDS pandemic in sub-Saharan Africa. I don't really know why, like there's a million things that are problems in this world, but I just, for some reason, that one really captured me and started figuring out how can I get involved? Uh, and I would give some money uh, each year, but I never really got involved, involved. And then at the same time, I was trying to figure out how can I unite the community that I live in, in East Central Minnesota, because there's a lot of divisiveness. There's a lot of, you know, arguing over politics and religion and schools and taxes and all kinds of stuff. And so I was trying to figure out, can I kill two birds with one stone? Can I try to do both of those things? And so I started a nonprofit really designed to unite the people of East Central Minnesota to respond to global poverty. Uh, and so that started in 2009 and interviewed a number of potential people that we would work with sort of on the ground in Africa. And what started as an interest in the AIDS pandemic really grew into community transformation. How can we help a community transform itself, uh, not just come in and give aid, but actually 
provide the financing, provide the infrastructure so that they can actually become independent and self-sustainable. And so we did that. And uh, we have a community in northern Rwanda called Kivaruga, which uh, I visited four times as part of this journey, uh, if you will. And now we're at the point where we've provided the funding we need and the project is actually closed and they are self-sustainable. So it was was like a 12-year project working there. A 12-year project. Oh, man. Like that is like, oh, I, I can't even think of, of like working on something for 12 years. I, I haven't even been working on this podcast for two. And, yeah. uh, and, but yet my side hustle journey was, um, was there like it, for a few years. And, um, and, it, but it really does show that you have to take it one step at a time. And then, and then, you know, and then there you are, you know, 12 years. Yeah, and I, I'm a multi-passionate guy too. And I, you know, I tend to work on things for a year or two at most because I like to, I'm a catalyst. I get things started, we get them rolling. And then once it's management phase, I hand it off. But I knew going in that this was going to be a longer project. And, you know, as you see progress, you know, each each thing that you're involved with is new, right? It starts with clean water and disease prevention and moves into food security and soil erosion and, you know, financial issues and female empowerment. And, you know, it kind of keeps growing as the, as the problems are sort of addressed, then it becomes uh, the, the next challenge uh, is, is there. And so it's, it's fun to see that transformation that happened over 12 years. And that was really a big part of the trips is to go back and, you know, encourage the people to bring people from here to see the impact that we're having to come back with the stories uh, because the on the ground work was really happening over there. We didn't do much of that. It was really, our role was fundraising and encouraging and telling the stories more broadly. What was the most uh, difficult part of um, your humanitarian work within uh, northern Rwanda? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I'd say there, there's the, there's tough parts that were over there, but frankly, the toughest part was probably that first that first trip in 2009 coming back. Um, you know, we went there right before Thanksgiving in 2009. And I'd never been outside of the United States. I'd never even been to, you know, like to Europe or anything like that. I was 39 years old. And this was my first excursion outside of the U.S. And the things that I saw, I knew that they existed. But when you see that level of poverty, you know, no clean water, uh, no electricity, you know, living in mud, mud huts, I mean, all that kind of stuff. And you talk to these people and you realize how amazing these people are. And they have the same hopes and dreams for their children that we have. And, you know, they're, they're just great people. They're just in a different environment. And, you know, I'd, I'd talk to kids that were eating once a week, right. And they'd go and they'd go to the community cow to get milk once a week and these sorts of situations. And then I come back and it was Thanksgiving week. And my wife sent me to the store to get some chocolate chips. Um, and I'm like, I, you know, chocolate chips, how hard can that be? Well, I go to the supermarket you know, it's beautiful, it's heated, it's, and there's like a whole section dedicated to chocolate chips, like, you know, white chocolate, dark chocolate, milk chocolate, you know, different brands, all this stuff. And I was sort of overwhelmed with this idea of, you know, three days ago, I was in a place where people are eating once a week. Um, You know, we actually helped serve this meal, this weekly meal. And just there's so much poverty and so much malnourishment and all of these things. And now I'm in this store where I can't figure out from all of the hundreds of varieties of chocolate chips, which ones to buy and, and having the, the ability to be able to go to the store and just buy those things. And so I think the hardest part of the humanitarian work was 
the, I mean, the stuff I saw over there was really hard. Okay. But I think it was coming back. And then how do I reconcile that we are on the same planet? And what do I do with that? Uh, I think that was kind of the hardest piece for me. Uh, and uh, that's also should serve as a reminder that, you know, we live in an, probably the greatest country in the world. Um, I've been outside of the U.S. once to the Bahamas um, when I was 16. But aside from that, I haven't been out since. Yes. And um, and it's it, it was a, a great experience. But um, what we should be grateful for is that we have food on our on our shelves at the grocery store, even though the supply chain crisis, uh, the inflation is uh, getting right. bad at this point. Um, but, but I, yeah, can I, st- I think that's right. I think, sorry, I think, I think gratitude is such an important thing. And I think what I had to learn to do is not feel guilty about that. Uh, you know, if that motivates behavior, great, but I didn't want to carry that guilt. Like, oh man, I, I shouldn't be having, you know, being able to go to the store, but I think what it does is it creates that gratitude. I mean, I don't turn on the water for, for the last, well, however many years it's been, 13 years uh, since I first went there. I don't turn on a water faucet without thinking, man, this is great because of what I saw over there, what they had to do just to get murky water to eat, you know, to drink and to, to work with. So I think, I think what it does is it creates this sense of gratitude and some of the, some of the issues of the day tend to diminish a little bit, you know, as, as we realize how great we actually have it here. And there are issues here, but man, overall, the fact that you were born here or live here, you won the lottery. Like you, we literally won the lottery by being born and, and living here. And, and I mean, I was born in 94 and, um, and I mean, like I, and I grew up uh, like not every day with the internet. Cause like when I was a little boy, mm-hmm. like eight years old or something, I, I was not on the computer all day. And I actually was going to elementary school at the time, but, but like, we are born with the internet and the ability to create this money and we can work. We, we now work from anywhere. I haven't been yeah. to the office since March 14th of 2020, yeah. um, which is like, go figure uh, yeah. that one. But, uh, but yeah, I mean like be grateful for the things you have and, and, and we have, we, we still have an abundance of items too. Uh, so you know, don't waste them. Don't throw them in the trash because, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah, a great <laughs> way. Wow. Great uh, way to start off Saturday morning. Um, just gratitude. Um, do you want to get into the poker aspect now or do you want to continue on this? I'll go wherever you want to go, boss. This is your podcast. Okay. Um, I guess... I guess uh, one more question. Um, um, even though I, I probably wouldn't get, you know, like, I, I don't know if I'll ever even go to Africa in my life. But um, for those that, that do decide, uh, what would you, your uh, recommendations be for them who want to get into this type of work? Yeah, I think, I think for, for one, I would say, and I never would have said this before my first trip, but like, Africa should be a bucket list item for everybody, even if you're not doing humanitarian work. I mean, the the impact that you bring to the economy just by going over there and spending money is great. But, you know, we we actually went on to four four trips over there. And each one we ended with a safari, just a few days of fun. And I was very resistant to doing that. 
uh, I said, this is not a fun trip. I don't want to spend time laughing and, and that sort of thing when this is about working and helping the people there. And what I was told was you're going to want to do that because some of the work that you that you see, some of the things that you see are going to be so difficult. You're going to need a couple of days to sort of transition back to reality. Plus, what a great opportunity to build team, you know, chemistry as you're riding in a Jeep together in the Serengeti or whatever it might be. And then just supporting the local economy. And you know what? It's Africa. Enjoy it. So <clears throat> I encourage people, if, you, if you're able to take vacations and if you consider it and you like animals and you like, you know, you don't, you don't mind being in a Jeep for a while, like just go on safari. It's so great. And there's so many different safaris over in Africa. <clears throat> Excuse me. I used to think they're all created the same. And now we've had the opportunity. I've been on in six different national parks and all the safaris are very different. So kind of depending on what you enjoy, uh, there's things for you. So part one is, man, I want to go back to Africa and just go on safari because it was so much fun and it's amazing. But for people that are interested in the humanitarian side, I don't know if I would jump right from nothing to to Africa to at least the kind of work that we did. But I think the key is, is finding a partner that is, a partner, like an organization that's doing the work over there. So if you're interested in this, there are a lot of organizations doing work in sub-Saharan Africa. I think the key is really clarifying what do you want to get involved with? Because there's people doing all kinds of things from community transformation like we did, or focusing on clean water, or focusing on microfinancing, or focusing on you know all kinds of different things. Figure out what's in your heart. Like what really is, what is it really besides, oh, I want to be in Africa? What are you really interested in? What do you really get motivated by? And then find an organization that does that. And then I would say partner with them. You're not going to just get on a plane and go to Rwanda and figure it out. Like that just, that's not going to happen. You need people that know the culture, know the thing. So find that organization and then reach out to them and say, I want to get involved. How do I get involved? Um, and then take it from there. So that would be my, but but start with what are you mostly interested in? Because I love the community transformation model. So if we were doing just clean water, That'd be great, but I would not have had the same motivation and the same engagement, and I wouldn't have been able to rally the troops to raise as much money as we did because I wouldn't have been as excited about it. And so I think that's the key is find out, find something that you're really, really excited about, and then maybe find a few other people, friends or people in your network that are also excited and do it together. I think that's an amazing way to build these lifelong memories. Like I, my family has never gone, but the people that have gone on these trips with me, whenever I see them. I mean, we're instantly back in Africa and recounting all of these amazing things that we saw. And you just, you have these memories that you share with people that just never, never go away. Indeed. Um, so I do want to talk about poker uh, because I was never really good and I probably don't know what I'm doing half the time. Uh, tell me about your uh, poker journey and how you got started. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, so it was probably uh, 12 years ago or so. Yeah, around 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. Um, and I have three teen- th- I had three teenage kids at the time. And I used to take them fishing and they kind of lost interest in fishing. And so I was looking for a way to connect with my kids. And I have two buddies that were about in the same situation. Between us, we had 10 teenagers. And we were talking one night about how do we connect with our kids? Because that was really important to us. And how do we build those relationships to make them stronger? And I don't remember who it was. One of them said, anybody ever really played poker? And we're all like, not really. No, not at all. And so we started doing that. So we'd have like 13 of us 
sitting around a table and for, you know, for we didn't, with no money at all. And we'd start playing poker and the kids kind of loved it. And so we started doing that more and more. And that was the first time I really, really played poker. And so, but I loved it. I just fell in love with the game. And so we continue to do that for a while as with our, with our kids. And some of them stayed interested, some of them lost interest over the couple of years, but man, I just, I grabbed hold of it. And I loved the game. I loved the the competitive elements of it. So that's how I got started. And then I started playing in a bar league on a regular basis. And then I started playing in the casino and then things just kind of took off. I ended up starting a podcast, which became a membership site, which became, you know, it's a top 10 global podcast. And so it's just, you know, when I do things, I just get into things. And so, you know, I was playing the game, but then the podcast, like you're probably experiencing, gave me an opportunity to talk to some really cool people. So, I mean, I've talked to most of the best players in the world and it just blows my mind. And in a sense, I get free coaching out of that deal. But anyway, so that, that was my origin story. That's how I started playing poker. Just fell in love with it. Loved the competitive elements of it uh, and all of that. Uh, I, I definitely could use some tips and tricks with uh, poker. <laughs> um, um, so talk to me uh, about like, what is Royal Flush? Um, what's, you know, and then you have like all Queens, all Kings or like eight or like solid aces or and all that. Yeah. So, so I played Texas Hold'em. So there's different variants of poker, right? But typically it's five cards. Your five best cards are your hand. So sometimes if you're playing one version, it could be just all five cards are in your hand. In Texas Hold'em, you have two cards and there's three cards in the middle that everybody shares, but it's your best five cards that make up the best hand. And so, yeah, the best possible hand is a Royal Flush, which is a straight and a flush together. So, and the, so a straight flush is any five cards in order that are all the same suit. And then a Royal Flush is just the highest. So it's an ace high straight flush. So ace of hearts, king of hearts, queen of hearts, jack of hearts, 10 of hearts. That's a Royal Flush. That cannot be beat. That's an unbeatable hand. Um, short of that, short of a straight flush. Uh, and then you have four of a kind. So yeah, four tens, four sevens, whatever that might be. That That's your four of a kind hand. And then you kind of go down from there. So you have a full house, then you have a flush, then you have a straight, then you have three of a kind, two pair, one pair, and then just high card. So sometimes you play this game and like a, you need, you might have a full house and you lose. And on another hand, you might have king high and you win. Like you don't have a pair of anything, but you're, all you have is a king high and that wins. So it's an interesting game that way. Uh, have you ever like had a successful bluff and i mean like you bluffed and then you like won the pot oh yeah yeah and that's 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 scary man but that that is a that's an adrenaline rush of no of no equal so yeah i mean i've I played a lot of big tournaments and i've had a lot of success in them and i've had some failures in them but you have to figure out times to bluff there that just has to be part of your game but i think some people don't really know how to figure out when's the right time so it doesn't make sense and they make a big bluff but there are times where it just makes sense where you just know a card comes and that's going to scare your opponent and unless they have the best hand um that's going to scare them to no end so yeah i've i put out some big bluffs i've gotten caught in some cases but there have been times in big tournaments where where i've made a big bluff and they fold and i'm like who baby because i had nothing you know so uh yeah that's a big adrenaline rush when that works yeah so um going online um you can definitely bet and uh and uh and and even though i'm not much of a better you could still connect your paypal and actually receive payouts with the whole thing right yeah i don't i don't do anything online i do have an account but i don't do anything online but i know a ton of people that do so where i live in minnesota it's not regulated 
Um, so it, you can still play, but you just have to know that, boy, they could shut it down at any point in time. So there's some risk involved in that sort of thing. And there's always controversy with online or people cheating, that sort of thing. But I know a lot of people that play online. I've got a good friend who has a lot of success. Uh, he plays basically every Sunday and plays these, you know, tournaments from $3 up to $11, but they get 10,000 entrants. And so the payouts are really good if you can make it a long way, but, but yeah, so you can play, you can play online for sure. And there's, yeah. there's free sites you can play online as well, just for, just for practice. Indeed. I don't have a problem with any betting at all. And I, and I don't know why we um would, would ever crack down or like, like how you could even justify that. Um, we are now betting on sports. Um, like, you know, the whole thing of the Arnold Ross scene, uh, by the way, no relation to him, um, <laughs> that scandal, that Black Sox scandal um, during like 1919, like it was like, oh, man, you bet on baseball. And, and, and this, is, this is from the people who were like, you know, like banning alcohol as well. And but but there's like nothing about placing wrong about placing money down and then trying to receive a payout. And then if you lose it, you lose it. Um, it, it, it's like, I don't understand, uh, why they would ever do that. And, and Minnesota does have sports betting if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. Pretty, pretty new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think, I mean, who knows. Right. But I mean, the one side of it would argue, well, if it's, it's, if it can become a societal problem, gambling can become a societal problem. And for a lot of people that, you know, are, are living paycheck to paycheck and they're, they're gambling away their winnings, then, you know, we're doing a disservice. So it's, you can see both sides, but I think individually what's wrong with placing a bet between friends, let's go, let's see who wins. But I think it just, the argument I think on one side is it can create addiction, right? We don't want to do anything that creates addiction for people and cause them a, a worse standard of living. But then on the other side, there's all this money that's involved. And so, you know, the, the, the States that have reg that have legalized, you know, gambling in certain ways, they capitalize, they make all this revenue and the States that haven't are losing out of this revenue because the gambling is going to happen either way, whether they do it or not. So I think it's a real jumbled um, political issue. And I don't, I'm not smart enough to sort my way through it, but I think that is one side of it because I know, you know, if you go up to a, if you go to a casino and there's slot machines, you know, there's a lot of elderly people that are playing the slots and you know, over the long run, they're going to lose money. Now it's great. Maybe it's great entertainment for them, but if they are burning through their social security checks that way, and then can't, you know, feed themselves, that's a problem. But what do we do? What's our role? I mean, that's the whole political thing. What's what's the government's role in in that? And so uh, leave that, I'll leave that for your audience. Uh, I, I mean, like, I'm still not entirely sure, too. And, uh, like, and, like, and then, like, if they have, like, any mental issues, like, who would be in control right. of that? And, and, I mean, like, it can get very dangerous uh, who who even gets that power over them. And uh, certainly, certainly that can be scary. Um, right. And that's the whole thing, right? Personal accountability versus, you know, protecting society and those things. I mean, that's the whole political debate, you know, and summed up. Uh, can, continuing on with uh, casino games, uh, you never, uh, um, yeah, you never played roulette or anything or like, like when you were like just waiting. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, you played. I'm, I'm kind of a one trick pony. Like, I really don't. I've never played blackjack. Uh, I've never played, you know, roulette. Um, 
even like even like poker you can play cash games and you can play tournaments like i love tournaments like i've played maybe a cash game a couple of times like i'm kind of i'm kind of a one-trick pony and uh part of it is because i feel like there's i have a skill edge in texas hold'em tournaments and i'm too logical i don't want to just go play you know push a button kind of games even though people love it they have fun doing it for me it's not my thing because i know that's just a luck thing and I'm not interested in playing that when I know the house keeps whatever 5% or whatever the number is, but you know, it's, it's really the reason is, you know, it comes down to why are you playing that thing? Like if you're going there for entertainment, then man, play whatever you want, do whatever you want, have a blast, play roulette. My buddy's big into craps, like have a blast doing it. For me, I, I go there for the competitive side of it. And because I think I can make some money. So I'm going to select the games that really I feel like I have a skill edge in and that are going to provide me that competitive fire of me against you. And, and, you know, let's, let's do that. So I think it comes down to why are you wanting to play? So really be honest with yourself and, and then just do what those things are that, that line up with them. But yeah. I'm not much of a, even if I'm killing time, I think I played slot machines one time in my life. My wife and I, after we were married, we were probably about your age. We went to the casino we each had like 10 bucks worth of nickels. We played the slot machines. We lost everything. We're like, this kind of sucks. And then we, we left. And so that was kind of my only experience doing that. Maybe if I had won, I would have been hooked. I don't know. I mean, th- there is um, something that uh, that you get from just playing poker with the guys and, and then you just bond and then create that friendship over time. I mean, I mean, uh, like I was about like 15 and... And, and and this is a true story, by the way, and won the whole pot and I had no idea what I was doing. And then like my buddy was like, let me see your cards, Adam. And then it's like, I, then I show him the cards and then it's like, oh my, you won, you won. And, and, and this was like, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm from Maryland, by the way, but I'm in Florida now. Um, so like, this was like, like about 20 25 miles away from dc uh where we were were but it it was like nothing was there and it was like and their cable had been shut off and we were just playing poker and and then it's like oh yeah you won though i mean (laughs) too bad too bad it wasn't nickels and dimes though i would have probably made like five bucks yeah (laughs) yeah i love i've i've run a home game for a number of years i haven't now for the last couple because of covid but i've run a home game where it's just you know 20 people 20 guys um playing poker we play every you know two months or something like that and i tell you what it is so much fun um so whether you're playing for money or not just the idea of i mean for me that's a way to build relationships i'm not great at like being a friend with a million people but if i find those people like let's do something let's go play disc golf let's play poker let's let's do something and for me that helps build those relationships so i think poker has been great from that perspective uh disc golf um like my first exposure to that was on a tv show called zoe 101 um oh, i'm I've not sure if that, you're familiar yeah. with that one i've heard of it my yeah my kids watch that yeah, yeah. like I, I mean they're about my age i mean yeah, I was right. born in 94 so and my, and I had a sister who uh, older sister who watched that as well but um like that was the first exposure um so um there so there is a par with that and there is um over and then I guess it would still be like birdie eagle or 
Yeah, it's it's just like golf. And I, I just this is something else pretty new. I started playing just a couple of years ago. My son got me into it because um, I was trying to get more steps in, trying to be more active. But I hate walking. It's just so boring. He's like, you should try disc golf. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's the scoring is basically the same. I mean, you're throwing a disc. You start you start off on a tee pad and you throw a disc and your goal is to get it into a basket. And it's just like golf. How many shots does it take you to get into the hole? And there's a par, you know, what it should take you, so to speak. And then, yeah, that's if you get one under par, it's a birdie, two unders an eagle, three unders an albatross. Um, and that's pretty rare. But, but yeah, it's and then scores basically the same way. And you can, you know, there's apps and all kinds of things to keep track of it. You can, there's tournaments and there's leagues and um, it's, it's great. Uh, the one thing I love about it is just most of the courses, Minnesota is a hotbed for disc golf. It's, it's just a ton of disc golf courses all over the place. And, almost all of them are completely free. So once you get a couple of discs, you can get them at Walmart for 10 or 15 bucks, get, you know, get a pack of three to get you started. You can just walk down to the local park and just play for free. And so it's a great sport to get into. So it's not, so you can use a, a traditional Frisbee for this. Um, you can, it- but it doesn't, yeah. I mean, it doesn't work. I mean, it's harder, you know, so you can't, you can use anything like you could throw a rubber chicken if you want, but, uh-huh. but I mean, but yeah, it's, so you can use a regular Frisbee, but the discs that they make are allow it to fly straighter for longer uh, than traditional Frisbees. Yeah. Oh, that is, that, that's something else. Um, yeah, so that's that's been fun, sort of fun. So, like, I'll show you here. So, I started a podcast uh, called Northern Chains, and so I'm, I'm sponsored by Infinite Disc, and so we created our own custom stamps, and so they're kind of cool, right? So you can see it's a little bit smaller if you're not watching this, but it's smaller than a regular frisbee. It's probably heavier. It's a little thicker, and then they have these different discs that are, uh, you know, different discs that are made for throwing as far as you can. Some that are made for throwing it shorter, where it's not gonna. Um, not going to curve as much. You can throw in, you know, once some are really good at throwing into the wind. And so some people go crazy with how many discs they have, but man, what I found is, I mean, I just, this year is the first time I've used more than two discs in a round. Like you can really just get a couple discs and just throw those. And it's, it's just great exercise. If you have listeners that are older, like me, they're looking to just get out, but they have a little competitive fire. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to do. Most of my audience is about my age. Um, yeah. Most but, of them, but you're always you'll always be surprised. Yeah, but yeah, there there will probably be like the one guy. It's like, oh yeah, I'll do that. Um, well, the the younger people can throw farther. Like I'm always playing against younger people, and so I've got to be more strategic and tactical because I can't throw as far as you young guys can. So uh, it's it's sort of fun that way. Um, it is uh, definitely, uh, yeah, it's definitely um, easier for us. I, I mean, like. I've been injured enough playing hockey, but um, it's definitely, uh, but definitely just getting out there. It, it, like, yeah, you don't have to worry about anyone checking you and, and you're not <laughs> right. even in baseball. You don't have to be worried about getting hit by the pitch or just having like bad contact with a catcher when you run into him. I mean, yeah. The only, the only danger is a, if somebody's throwing a disc at another fairway and they throw a really bad one, it, you know, it can come over toward you or whatever, or slipping on the slipping as you throw. That's even about the only thing, but yeah, you're not worried about somebody playing defense and blowing you up after you take a shot. I mean, I mean, like, I, I think there's not enough sports with that are like, just, you know, contact free. I mean, like, I mean, like odds are like you, you can get injured from playing regular golf as well. I mean, right. Um, like Phil Mickelson got, got pretty old. And I think I, 
not not even Roy McElroy, um, but like um, who well Tiger all clearly got injured yeah. back in his glory days um, as well. Um, there's that yeah. Do you want a random system check? Uh, yeah, so there's that. Um, uh, disc golf, same thing. Uh, just uh, just find those people and uh, and go to meetups and things, and you should be able to find them, right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the thing about disc golf that's different from poker is that it's a very it's very easy thing to do on your own, too. So I'm, I'm an introvert, so I like people, but, you know, there's times where I just go play, and a lot of the disc golf I do is I just go to my own because I'm trying to think through a problem. I'm trying to figure something out, so I can just drive four miles to go play this disc golf. I just play by myself. And it's it's fun, but you know, but it also allows me to kind of clear my brain. So it's a it's a wonderful activity for if you're just wanting to do something on, on your own, but it's a great activity if you want to partner with some other people too. Yeah. I mean, indeed, I mean it's yeah. Oh, yeah. So we are it is 942 in the morning. Uh this is gonna be episode 70. Um, anything else you want to talk about? No, it's really, if there's anything you want to talk about, let me know. But uh, no, I mean, that's great. I, th- well, I mean, yeah, there, yeah, I guess that'll be uh, it. Um, okay, ladies and gentlemen, there will be um, some links in the show notes. Um, one to my YouTube channel, one for the Nomad Network. Um, please sign up if you want to start your own side hustle. My mentor, Jason Stapleton has nearly 2300 members so go there and uh please be that 2300th member and um (laughs) with that being said stay safe stay great i'll talk to you all in the next episode